following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. And now, with Patricia Raskin Positive Living, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well, good afternoon, everyone, if you're on the East Coast, and good morning, everyone, if you're on the West Coast. I am Patricia Raskin, and our topic today is fertility from A to Z. And joining us is fertility expert, Dr. Lynn Westfall. She is an associate professor of OBGYN and, and reproductive endocrinology and infertility at Stanford University School of Medicine based in Palo Alto, California. She holds a medical degree from Stanford University and, again, is board certified in obstetrics and gynecology and in reproductive endocrinology and infertility. Her interest in fertility preservation for cancer survivors led her to one of the first uh, one of the first programs in the country in 1999, and she was a recipient of a grant from the Breast Cancer Research Program to study chemotherapy-induced ovarian damage prevention and impact. Welcome, Dr. Westfall. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, thank you. Um, you know, I, I know that you can talk about things from vitro fertilization to egg donors, surrogacy, and other assisted reproductive procedures, and that's really what we're going to talk about today. I think... Um, the, the question is, you know, you have published over 60 scientific papers related to your specialty of fertility. Tell us about your research and how long you've been studying fertility. Well, I've been involved in the field for quite a long time. When I was a medical student, I rotated on the IVF service at Stanford when they were just starting it. So that was in the mid-1980s. The very first IVF baby mm. was born in 1978, um, and so people were just starting to get mm. programs going in the 80s, and it was such an exciting time that I decided that's what I wanted to do after I finished medical school. So I did a residency mm. in obstetrics and gynecology and then a fellowship in reproductive endocrinology. So I've been in the field for, for quite a while um, and involved yeah, since the mid um, 1980s. Now, today, women, many women, are having their children older. It used to be 20s, now it's 30s, some even into 40s. Comment about that. Does it get much harder as we get older? Unfortunately, nothing works as well as we get older, and there's no way to stop the aging process or to reverse it. And the ovaries know very, very well how old they are. We were not meant to reproduce forever. A hundred years ago, the average life expectancy in the U.S. was 47, and people usually weren't even thinking about having children as they got into their 30s because, you know, they wouldn't live long enough on average to see them grow up. 
Now that people live to be 80, 90, 100, 40 is super young on a lifespan, but our ovaries Mm. are still programmed the way that they always have been. Um, Our eggs, as women, were formed when we were inside our mothers, so they are actually even a little bit older than our chronologic age. And as, um, as we get older, we lose eggs. So women are losing hundreds of eggs every month, even when they're pregnant or on birth control pills. So you don't need to be ovulating to lose eggs. And as women get closer to 40, probably losing 1,000 eggs a month. And so that's how the ovary gets depleted of eggs. And um, eventually, around 50, the ovary is ovaries are usually completely depleted, and that's why women go into menopause. But long before that, as the eggs are getting older, they just don't function as well, and that's Mm -hmm. why pregnancy rates go down, miscarriage rates go up, um, the risk of having a child with some chromosomal problem like Down syndrome increases, and that's all related to the aging process, and, uh, you know, we have no control over aging. So what do you say to the woman who's in her late 30s, early 40s, who may want children, may not be married, may want to be married at some point, but what, what do you say to those women in that age range, you know, who would like to have biological children? When women come in and we're having this discussion about fertility, if they would consider, you know, other options, so sometimes women who are single would consider getting a sperm donor. Um, That is one option. And the only way to actually know if someone is going to be able to get pregnant and carry a pregnancy and deliver a healthy child is to actually go through the whole nine months and deliver the child. There is no test that can tell us that anyone, you know, is going to be successful. So, Sometimes hormone tests, everything look, you know, everything will look perfect, and there are patients who fall into this unexplained infertility category where we don't know why they're not getting pregnant. And part of the problem is that there are so many factors involved. So every egg is different, you know, the sperm are different, the uterine environment is different, and that, you know, just changes from month to month. But a lot of the patients that I see, you know, are hoping that they will be in a relationship at some point, and in that situation, it sometimes makes sense to think about freezing eggs. And so I do encourage women, especially as they're getting, you know, closer to 40, to think about these options, and if they still think it will be a while until they'll try to get pregnant, then it may make sense to think about freezing eggs. Is that a costly process, Dr. Westfall? It is a fairly expensive process because it it usually is not covered by insurance, so people are usually paying out of pocket for it. Now, compared to a lot of other medical procedures that actually, you know, if you were paying for other things out of pocket, it would seem not as expensive because um, mm-hmm. it is a very um, regulated, very high-tech um, procedure to go through. But people do think of it as being costly because they usually have to pay for it. Is, is there something, I think I read or I interviewed someone who talked about taking tissue from the ovary and being able to tell through that? 
Um, there isn't a good test for fertility. Now, occasionally in patients who have cancer, we sometimes will freeze pieces of ovarian tissue, but mm-hmm. it's not used as a diagnostic test. And there haven't been many pregnancies in the world from freezing ovarian tissue. So usually when we're trying to estimate um, how good a woman's ovaries are functioning, we will do an ultrasound to look and see how many resting follicles we can see, what we call the antral follicle count. And then there also are some blood tests that we typically will do. We sometimes call these day three labs because they're done early in the menstrual cycle. So usually they're drawn on day two, three, or four of the cycle, and we're looking at a follicle-stimulating hormone level, an estradiol level, and often um, doing an anti-mullerian hormone level also. So those are, are those um, options or alternatives to having your eggs frozen or no? Well, those tests um, give us some idea of how normal that the woman's ovaries are functioning. And, you know, if those tests come back looking good, then that's encouraging and it means that their fertility, you know, should be good at, at whatever age they are. If those tests look really abnormal, then that's concerning. And those are the patients that when we try to um, stimulate their ovaries and, and get eggs, we're going to get very, very few. So those tests are mostly used to predict how well they may do in a cycle where we're trying to freeze eggs. So and that would be a blood test and an ultrasound. Correct. Right. So those that testing is usually done with yeah one blood draw and an ultrasound. Okay, and that's kind of the the precursor to having your eggs frozen. Right. That's usually the initial evaluation. Okay. All right. Now you co-authored a study on a supplement called Fertility Blend, which is a natural supplement. Uh, is this just a vitamin, and who would take this? Um, so it's um, it has vitamins and some herbs, and it can be used in place of a prenatal vitamin because it has folic acid and other things that you would find in a prenatal vitamin. But it also has um, some herbs that sometimes may help the menstrual cycle. Um, there's one in particular that I think can be helpful, especially for women who may have slightly irregular cycles. Um, it contains chaseberry or Vitex, which we found did normalize patient cycles. So a lot of the women in the study had irregular cycles, and when they took the fertility blend, it seemed to normalize their cycles. And I think that is probably mostly related to the chaseberry that's in the preparation. Does this at all help you with fertility in terms of um, the ability to get pregnant? Well, we did find in our study that the women who were on the fertility blend had a higher pregnancy rate than the women who were not. So it definitely can help some women um, in terms of getting pregnant. Dr. Westfall, what about the pill? If a woman is on the pill... Um, does this in any way inhibit her from getting pregnant in terms of um, fertility? 
So you mean if she's been on the birth control pill and then yes. stops it? Yes. Um, so occasionally, I mean, it doesn't have any long-term impact at all. And, you know, the birth control pill can have a lot of good benefits for for many women, you know, can help with a lot of their symptoms and... Um, and so there's, it will not harm anyone's fertility, but there are some women that after they stop the pill, sometimes it may take a little, a few months for their cycles to normalize and reset. Um, so the pregnancy rates right after stopping the pill tend to be um, a little bit lower because some women are still kind of normalizing. But after a year, that effect is completely gone. Okay. What are some of the lifestyle choices that affect infertility? Uh, choices that would be helpful and choices that might be harmful? Well, a lot of it is common sense and what we think of as just helping women have an overall long-term healthy life. Um, so good nutrition, being at a healthy weight is really, really important, especially in a pregnancy, women who are overweight tend to have more pregnancy complications, may take them longer to get pregnant. Um, and, you know, it, these things can impact the child, um, the child's long-term health too. So we know the health of the mother can have a really long impact on, on the child. Um, so healthy weight and then smoking is also a, a very bad thing for fertility and obviously um, not good for women during pregnancy either. And women who smoke um, may have an may have an earlier menopause. Um, so smoking is, you know, one of the things that we have control over that um, hopefully when women are trying to get pregnant, they're a little bit more motivated because I know it can be hard to stop smoking. And um, probably... The most important thing is just for women to try to get pregnant as soon as they think that they may be ready because they wait too long. Um, you know, age is definitely going to be a factor. So even women who feel like they're super healthy, feel like they're, they're fertile, you know, we, you cannot prevent um, the aging of the ovaries. And so overall, mm-hmm. it's just common sense in terms of, an overall healthy lifestyle. There aren't special foods that make someone more fertile. There are always these, you know, rumors of things that sometimes make people more fertile. But in general, just kind of a healthy, well-balanced diet um, is is the most important thing. Let's talk again about women who are having babies later and later. Mm -hmm. And there are many conflicting stories about this. I mean, I I read an article that was in the Wall Street Journal that actually I felt was um, discouraging. Because, you know, when a woman's eggs start to decline uh, in number and quality, it affects particularly as someone is older, late 30s, 40s. And this article did speak to the fact that I think it was over 40, they said about 5%, a woman has 5% chance of getting pregnant, which I thought was discouraging. And they also said that um, they did talk about freezing eggs, but mm-hmm. they did talk about the low percentage. And the other thing the article said is that that when a woman, late 30s, early 40s, wants to become pregnant, 
they send them directly to a fertility specialist. So I'd like you to address that because there are many women who are having babies in their 40s. Right. Um, So, I mean, there's a whole range, and there's some women who are more fertile than average for their age and some that are much less fertile. And people don't realize how inefficient human reproduction is. So if you have a normal, completely fertile couple in their 20s trying to get pregnant, they have about a 20% chance each month. But because they're young and you try over many months, the majority of them will get pregnant within a year. At 40, it's about a 5% chance in a you know, a normal woman at age 40 of, of getting pregnant each month. But if women are trying over many months, you know, there are a number of them that will get, will get pregnant. Um, but we kind of have this baseline that we're much less efficient than, than people realize. And in women, as they get over 35, if they've been trying for six months or so, it makes sense for them to start to have some testing early on because you don't want to miss something that you could correct or move to some treatment to move things out, move things along a little bit faster um, because aging is going to be definitely a factor as women get older. You just don't want to miss some window of opportunity. So would you say to a woman, let's say is 40, 40 plus, and does want to have children, may not have found her partner yet, would you suggest that, you know, before she has the, um, the eggs frozen, that she has the blood work and the ultrasound? Do you think that's important? I think it's really important to have um, those results so that the patient knows where she falls in the spectrum. There's some women, you know, if you do the testing and it looks like they're going to get very, very few eggs and it's going to give them you know, very low odds in the future, they may decide that it's not worth the time and the expense to go through the whole process. I see. But on the other hand, there's some women who say, well, you know, even if I get a couple of eggs, at least it gives me some chance and, you know, I'm willing to go through it. So it's going to be kind of weighing, you know, the the process and the, the benefits with, you know, with the with the risks and having the hormone tests and the ultrasounds will give a woman some idea of what her fertility is, and then she can make decisions based on that. And it takes just one egg to get pregnant. Is that correct? <laughs> correct, but it needs to be a good of all those egg. thousands. <laughs> yeah, right. There are many eggs in the ovaries that just you know don't have potential. Um, and we don't really understand why humans are so much less efficient than most other animals. Um, and a lot of people, because they're not having many, many children, may not ever um, realize that, um, you know, that their fertility is declining. Um, you know, so that's part of it also is that as humans, you know, we tend to have smaller families now. And um, so some people, you know, if they have their two children and then they're in their early 40s, they may not realize that, you know, if they had tried to have more, they may not have been able to. 
Right. Now, isn't fertility just a big problem, uh, as just as big a problem for men as it is for women? So we do see that probably um, in our patients who come in, it's as common for there to be a male problem as a female problem. And probably, you know, at least 50% of our patients, um, there's a, a male factor. But it does. But it is a bigger problem for women. It sounds like. Um, well, as men age, you do see some decline in um, sperm quality, but it's not the same extent as it is for women. And you know, men keep producing sperm usually their their whole life, um, so it's not quite the same situation that you see with women. Once women reach menopause, their eggs are gone, that, that's it. But clearly, you know, there are men who have had children in their, you know, very, very late in life. So what's the first thing a couple should do if they suspect infertility? I think the first thing is if the woman has um, a gynecologist, she could talk to her and start to do some basic testing through her gynecologist. And if there's anything in either the male or female history that indicates, you know, that there may be a problem, so let's say one of them had chemotherapy for cancer as a child or, you know, had surgery um, on their reproductive tract. So those types of things may make someone want to have an evaluation sooner. But I think a lot of women who have a relationship with their gynecologist, and that is a good place to start for some of the basic testing. And then if that's been done and the woman's been trying for six months and she's over 35, then she probably at that point should think about seeing a fertility specialist. Okay. Is this very common, Dr. Westfall? I know this is your specialty. But is infertility common or not common? What are the percentages? Well, people quote that, you know, probably, again, it depends a little bit on the population, but probably overall about 15% of couples will experience infertility. Okay. Now, what we didn't talk about was uh, infertility drugs. Mm-hmm. And we didn't talk about in vitro. You want to spend a few minutes speaking about that? Sure. So if a couple, um, you know, is found to have either, you know, a tubal problem or, you know, the sperm count is very low or, um, you know, they've been trying a long time and no one has found an answer, then in vitro fertilization you know, is a, is a good option for them. And it's the same process for someone who's also thinking about freezing eggs. Um, so the only difference would be that if someone's freezing eggs and storing them in the future, we don't fertilize them and do anything with them at the time. But the process that's done to the woman is, is essentially the same. Typically, it's about 10 to 12 days of daily injections. And in that time period, the woman is coming in every few days to monitor her, her response to these medications. The fertility medications are given as little subcutaneous injections, so they're 
very easy to self-administer. They're usually, um, the woman will usually give them either in the thigh or the abdomen. And then after about 10 to 12 days, when it looks like the ovaries have responded and there are follicles that you can see on ultrasound that look like they should have mature eggs, then there's one last hormone injection to get the eggs um, to mature. And then usually about 35 to 36 hours after that last injection, the egg retrieval is done. And that is the invasive part of the whole process. That procedure is done with the woman heavily sedated. Um, So usually Mm -hmm. most people have an anesthesiologist who gives them very heavy sedation. So the women usually do not remember being in the procedure room. And the procedure itself takes about 15 minutes to do. It's done with a needle that's a little bit thicker than what's used to draw blood. So it's a needle that just goes through the top of the vagina. And when the woman wakes up, there's nothing to see because it's just a needle through the top of the vagina. And then the woman goes home an hour later. Um, It should not prevent women from doing their usual activities. So most people are working, doing their usual jobs when they're going through this process. So it's about two weeks where the woman needs to be somewhat flexible and coming in every few days and then should not plan to work the day of the retrieval, but most women are back at work the the next day. It's not a big recovery. So if a woman is freezing eggs, then they're frozen at that point. If they're going to do in vitro fertilization, we fertilize them and then the embryos are transferred um, usually a few days after that. Okay. This is great information. So... For the average person uh, who's thinking about this, what I hear you suggesting is, you know, go to your physician and have some blood work so you can see where you are in terms of being fertile, correct? That's a good idea, yes. Yeah, and also in terms of fertility blend, um, it's a natural fertility supplement. And uh, one of the things you said is that uh, it, it has helped people. Um, certainly it has helped people, you said, normalize their menstrual cycle. And right. And also that there was a study that there was a higher rate of pregnancy. Correct. With fertility blends. So if anyone has any questions, can they, can they write to you? Of course. Um, right. So they can just email me. My email is lynnw at stanford.edu. So it's L-Y-N-N-W. Correct. At stanford.edu. Correct. All right. Dr. Westfall, thank you so much for being on the program and, and sharing so much about fertility and, and giving us hope. Oh, well, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Stay on the line for a minute. All right, folks, that wraps up Patricia Raskin Positive Living. Um, We'll be back with you next week. Remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin. You can write to me, Patricia, at patriciaraskin.com. Bye for now. Matt, are we okay?
Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you're listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Are you a single parent trying to create the balance between home life and work life? You may be running a successful business, but how are your relationships with your family and children? If you're one of the thousands of people trying to juggle it all, tune in to Straight Up with Chris, real talk on business and parenthood, hosted by Chris FSU. Chris is the portrait of the success story, coming to the U.S. with no language skills, founding and growing several businesses, while raising his daughter from age 7 to adulthood as a single dad. Listen every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Very rarely does our news media spotlight some of the good things that are happening in our world. For more of these good stories and the people that are creating them, tune in to Bread for the Journey with Mariana Cacciatore. Whether these good acts stem from personal tragedy or just a desire to help out and make this a better world in which to live, you'll find inspiration in every week's program. Connect with those that are doing something great for a change. Listen for Bread for the Journey, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit Voice 